All of us have Easter stories. Some of them are about baskets and bunnies, and some of them are about eggs and chocolate. Some of the stories are deeper. They're about worship, and they're about new life and new hope. I've been asking people this week, what's your Easter story? Give me, a, just say, give me an Easter story. I, I, think, I think Easter grows with us. It, it changes as we age. It changes with our faith. Easter becomes more meaningful in, in different times and in different ways. And while the central message of Easter never changes, and the central message is that Christ is risen, right? Christ is risen indeed. We should allow Easter to change us. We should allow Easter to, to grow us. Now, what's your favorite Easter story? What, what's your favorite Easter? I've been asking that question. I asked that question of Cindy Ritchie this week, Colleen, your, your friend Cindy. Cindy Ritchie used to be Cindy Leonard, grew up here in Kansas. She grew up here at Kansas Christian Church. This was her first church. Cindy started her faith right here. She said she has memories of coming to Easter services as a little girl. She said she loved getting dressed up in her little Easter hat and her little Easter dress. And she said, I'd get, love to get dressed up and put on those little, little white socks and little white shoes. She said, you remember that, Brett? And I said, I, I never wore the little white socks and little white shoes, Cindy. I'm sorry, that wasn't part of my Easter experience. And she said, I'd put that on. I'd trot off to Easter service. Then she wrote, she wrote me and told me this. For me as an adult, Easter reminds me of the fact that Christ did indeed rise up out of the tomb And it is the one time of the year that I really dwell on that fact and the sacrifice that was made on my behalf. As a child, it gave me a reason to wear my hat and get all dressed up and a way for me to show respect to God for His power and love that we celebrate on Easter Sunday. I loved that. I loved hearing that. And I believe we could probably all tell Easter stories. We could all share something different, and yet we would all share something wonderful. The central message of the Bible is the Easter story. The story of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Everything that comes before it leads up to that moment and everything that comes after flows out of that moment. It is the central truth of our faith and it is in that truth, as Cindy Ritchie said, that our stories change. Our lives become Easter stories. And just as we can trace the centrality of Easter through the Bible, we can see the centrality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ in our own lives and in our faith. In our faith. Hebrews chapter 11. We we call it the faith chapter. That's where we're going to be today. Hebrews chapter 11. If you want to grab one of those blue Bibles in front of you, it's page 1008. It's where we're going to be today. Hebrews chapter 11. It's a beautiful chapter. It's a chapter filled with story after story of what people did by faith. It begins with a declaration and kind of a definition of what faith is. Hebrews 11, verse 1. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by faith, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God so that what, we, what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. And from there, the, the chapter continues with story after story from the Old Testament. Story after story from history of Cain and Abel, of Abraham and Noah and Moses and more and more. And as you read through, you, you come to understand there's no reason to think that those stories end at the end of chapter 
11, those stories continue. The stories of faith continue with your story and with my story. We're looking at the end of the chapter today. It's Hebrews 11, verses 32 through 40. I want to begin with verses 32 through 35. It's here where the author is wrapping things up and he he writes these words beginning in verse 32. And what more can I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Time would fail me, he writes. In other words, there are more stories. And there are your stories. Over the next few weeks, as we lead up to Easter, We're going to dig back through our Bibles and we're going to hear other stories, other stories of resurrection. But here in Hebrews chapter 11, we're reminded that there are stories of resurrection that raise our faith to new life. One of the things that we see God doing throughout the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, there in the Old Testament, we see Him preparing us for the story of Jesus. All through the Old Testament, God seems to drop little hints that something big's going to happen. We call them types, by the way, T-Y-P-E-S. We talk about types of Christ. That's a word we use to describe these little events that pop up in the Old Testament that point us towards Jesus. I like to think of it as a typewriter. Some of you are old enough to remember typewriters, right? Some of you probably aren't old enough to remember typewriters. But the typewriters had those little arms, right, with a little letter on there. And they would stamp, they would, they would type that letter onto a piece of paper. And when that, piece, when, that, when that arm would raise up and strike that letter, it would leave an impression of that letter on the paper. And that's what God does in the Old Testament very often. He steps into history every now and then and He strikes an image of Jesus onto history. And so we read through the Old Testament and we read the story of Noah's Ark, right? And we see Noah saving his family from the flood. And we see that's a type of Jesus because Jesus saves us all from sin. We see the story of David and Goliath, right? It's a great story. We read the story of David and Goliath. David against this huge oppressive opponent. And we think about Jesus defeating sin and how it just looked like it was so big that he wasn't going to be able to do it. But yet Jesus comes out the victor in that. We read stories like Elijah raising people from the dead. And we see that's a type of Christ. In fact, we read there in verse 35, women received back their dead by resurrection. And that is very likely a reference to the Old Testament story of Elijah that we find in 1 Kings chapter 17. If you wanted to turn back to there with me as well, I'm going to be there just for a moment. But 1 Kings chapter 17, it's there that Elijah meets this woman. We don't know her name. We're never given a name, but she's called the widow of Zarephath. So we know that she's a widow. She has lost her husband. We also know she is from Zarephath, which is not part of Israel. She is a foreigner. She is outside of the people of Israel. But Elijah asks her for a kindness. It's a time of famine and there's no food. And Elijah asks her to prepare him a meal. Make me some bread. 
And she tells him, I have two jars at home, one with flour in it, one with oil in it. And there is only enough flour and oil for one more loaf of bread. She says, I'm going to go home. I'm going to make a, I'm going to make a, a, a loaf. I'm going to feed my son and myself. We are going to eat and then we are going to die. That's her hope. That's her plan. One more meal and then we are dead. Well, if you know the story, Elijah miraculously makes that jar of oil and that jar of flour continue to pour. And every day it pours out just enough oil, just enough flour to make another loaf of bread. She and her son live. She's so appreciative of Elijah's miraculous work there that she builds a room onto her roof. She, she puts a room upstairs and Elijah stays there. He lodges there whenever he's in the area. And everything seems just absolutely wonderful. But then we get to the end of chapter 17, 1 Kings 17, and her son gets sick and her son dies. And in 1 Kings 17, well, beginning in verse 17, <clears throat> it says, after this, the son of the woman the mistress of the house, the son became ill and his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. And she said to Elijah, what have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and cause the death of my son. In other words, you, you raised my hope and then you dashed it. And he, Elijah said to her, give me your son. He took him from her arms and carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged and he laid him out on his own bed. And he cried out to the Lord, O Lord my God, you have brought calamity even upon the widow whom, with whom I sojourned by killing her son. And he stretched himself out upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, let, the child, uh, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah. And the life of the child came into him again and he revived and Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him into his mother, delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. Women received back their dead by resurrection. You hear that, right? That woman's son was dead. Elijah resurrected him. It's a strange story, it's odd. But you need to understand, the boy was dead. This is not CPR. Uh, as weird as it sounds, Elijah stretching himself out, kind of breathing into the child, it is not CPR. He is not reviving the child. He's not resuscitating this, uh, this child. The child was dead. The boy was dead. Elijah prays. He cries out to God. He even gets angry with God. And the child comes back to life. That's resurrection. Life from where before there was only death. And the end result, the very last verse of the story, verse 24, the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is true. It's not just that he resurrected her son, he resurrected her faith as well. He resurrected her faith. I know that the word of the Lord is true. That's why we need Hebrews chapter 11. That's why we need stories of resurrection. That's why we need Easter stories. And I think that's why we need to hear each other's stories. 
We need to hear each other's stories to know the truth that you know, the truth that you've seen, the truth that you've experienced, so that we know for sure when you sing those words, you're not just singing the words, you are, you are declaring the words. You ask me how I know He lives. He lives within my heart. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. So that they might rise again to a better life. You hear that promise. This isn't just about history. This isn't just about stories from the Old Testament. You know, the day came when the widow of Zarephath's son would die again and would not be resurrected after that. There came a day when the widow of Zarephath, when, when she died, the greatest hope for her And the greatest hope for her son, the greatest hope for you, it's not found in this world. And as wonderful as these stories are, there is a better story to come. Because through Jesus, we have a greater story. And through Jesus, we have a better hope. The stories of Hebrews 11 inspire us to greater faith. But you can't miss this detail. Every one of the stories in Hebrews 11 ends with a dead person. Every one of the stories in Hebrews 11 ends with a, with a dead person. You read through them all. You hear stories of faithful and committed dead people. And while all of them are, are said to have remained faithful, it didn't end well for a lot of them. If you read on in verse 36, others suffered mockings and floggings and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. That's probably a reference to... Uh, Jeremiah the prophet, by the way. Tradition tells us that Jeremiah was stoned to death. That's how he was killed. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. That's likely a reference to Isaiah. Again, we don't have this in the Bible, but tradition tells us that Isaiah was sawed in two. That's how he was put to death. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Every story in chapter 11 is of someone who paid the ultimate cost for their faith with their lives. But you don't miss what he says in verse 38. The world was not worthy of them. You know, from outward appearances, some of them didn't look like they had much. From outward appearances, some of them didn't look like they amounted to much. Many of them looked like failures. Jeremiah and Isaiah, if it weren't for the Bible, you wouldn't know those names. They didn't leave a mark anywhere else on history. The widow of Zarephath, we don't even have her name. We don't know what her name was. All all of these are insignificant people. They are unimportant people by by the world's standards. If it weren't for the Bible, you wouldn't remember them. None of them died of natural causes. None of them came to the end at a ripe old age in their beds at home, but every one of these stories points to something greater. Every story points to someone greater. Every story points to Jesus. You see, it's not, it's not just about what you live for. And it's not just about what you're willing to die for, but what is it that is of eternal worth? What is worthy of your devotion? What is it that's worthy of your hope? And that's what these stories point us to. A greater story yet to come here. A greater hope. A better hope. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We'll look at that in a few weeks. 
But it's there in 1 Corinthians 15 that Paul talks about resurrection and how it is central to our faith. But in verse 19, he confesses that if it's only for this life that we have hope, if our only hope is right here, then we Christians are to be pitied of all people. We are to be the most pitied. Because if all we've got is this life, if all we've got are these troubles, then we have believed in nothing. Your hope must be greater than just this life. And Jesus is worthy of your hope. That's why your Easter stories are important. Because the hope that this world offers is never eternal. The hope this world offers is always fleeting. Faith needs to be about something bigger. Faith needs to be about something that lasts. And that's why as wonderful as the stories in Hebrews 11 are, God has given you the greater story. God has given you the greater story. Verse 39, And all of these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. We, we could go back all the way through chapter 11. We could start with Abel who offers a better sacrifice than Cain. We could go on with Abraham who by faith leaves his homeland and goes to a country that he, he doesn't even know where he's going. He's marching off the map. We can look at Joseph. Joseph who leads his family into Egypt where they are treated like royalty, but he warns them, you're not staying here. There's another land coming, and when you go to that land, you take my bones. Do not leave my bones in Egypt. You bury me in our homeland. All of them were commended for their faith, but none of them saw what was promised. They never saw the hope that they died trusting in. All of these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. You know, the faith chapter is amazing, isn't it? You could spend your life plumbing the depths of the faith, faith chapter. There are stories here that are not just ancient, but when you open your Bible and really start examining, those stories come new. They, they, seem, they seem new to you. They, you can always find something new in them. But every one of the stories in this chapter is incomplete. And the reason it's incomplete is because they didn't have you yet. They didn't have your story. Your story of what Jesus has done for you. And you see, that's, that's why your Easter story matters. That's why the story of what Jesus has done for you is worth telling. Because as great as these stories of faith are, they are nothing without you. Your story completes them. What Jesus has done for you makes their sacrifice worth it. God has given you the greater story. Again, verse 40, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Something better for you. A greater hope to your faith. And the beautiful thing about that is because you know Jesus, because you know His forgiveness, because you know His promise, your faith makes their sacrifice worth it. And together, together with them, we are whole. It's there at the end of that story of Elijah raising the son of the widow of Zarephath. He resurrects the woman's son. He returns the boy to her. And she says, now I know that you are a man of God. And the word of the Lord in your mouth is true. It wasn't just that she had heard his stories. 
She now lived His story. God provided something better for us that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Your faith, your story completes her story. Your faith in Jesus, your hope of salvation, that's the final touch to her story because your story points her story to Jesus. I know there are other people. There's someone else whose story you could help complete. There are other people still whose stories you could help complete. There are people in your life whose stories are incomplete. And the stories are incomplete because they don't know Jesus yet. They don't know Jesus yet, but they know you. They know who you are. Make sure they know your story. Make sure they know what He has done for you. And as Easter approaches, you know there may be no better time to tell them what He has done for you and how He's completed your story. We take communion every week. And we're reminded through Scripture that as long as we continue to take this, we continue to proclaim, as, as often as we take this, we continue to proclaim the Lord's death. We continue to proclaim Jesus' story every time we share communion. And we share it and we proclaim it, not just, not just what happened in the upper room, not just what happened when He shared that meal with His disciples, but we proclaim what He's done for us. And so today, we sing that song, He Lives. You ask me how I know He lives. He lives within my heart. We sing that to proclaim what He's done for us. Let me pray, and then we'll sing and we'll take together. Father, thank You. Thank You for the stories that are gathered here in this room. Lord, I've had the blessing of knowing some of those stories. I've had a blessing of being a part of some of those stories. Lord, we've, we've known Your presence. We've known your, we've known Your peace. We've known You. And we thank You. And Father, there are other people out there that they know us, but they don't know You yet. And I pray that we would be eager to tell them what You've done for us. Lord, even if that's as simple as just sharing some time with them, spending some time loving them and caring for them, Lord, let us tell them the difference that You've made. We thank You today for this cup that represents uh, the, the, the blood that was shed, the, the bread that represents the body broken. And we thank You that because of Jesus, we have a new story. And we have a new hope and we have a new, a new life with You. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.